In today's episode of Public Interest Podcast, I interview former Maryland Health Secretary John Colmers, uh, and we spend much of the time, so this is fair forewarning for you folks out there, discussing the intricacies of Maryland's uh, all-payer rate-setting system. This is a very wonky episode about health policy. But to get us kick-started, I thought I'd share with you John's thoughts on his own legacy, which, interestingly enough, has nothing to do with expanding Medicaid coverage to hundreds of thousands of individuals. It's nothing to do really with the health policy decisions that have shaped his career, but more with the mentees who he's helped over the course of his career and his gratitude to a country that allowed his parents to immigrate to uh, the United States during a time of war. Give back to the community uh, uh, and, uh, and to the country that um, uh, made it possible for my uh, family to uh, survive and to, to thrive. Ultimately, I hope um, uh, that I leave uh, behind uh, lots of other mentees that I now uh, have the great privilege of working with um, uh, and instilling in them um, the same type of commitment uh, to uh, public service and advancing uh, the public good, uh, which can be done either in the public sector or in the private sector. And while there are not many nice things about getting old, uh, being able to um, find and, and work with uh, young mentees is uh, certainly one of, uh, one of them. Stay tuned to hear more from former Maryland Health Secretary John Colmers on the intricacies of health policy. Hello, and welcome to Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we have been interviewing politicians, activists, advocates, and others since 2016 with the intention of ennobling public service, creating a platform for positive civil discourse, and facilitating dialogue with difference. This show is the antidote for those who are tired of hearing about what's going wrong with the world. We showcase people just like you who are working to leave the world better than they found it. And that's good news. And now a word from former President John F. Kennedy with his views on public service. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I'll remind you that this show is made possible by viewers like you. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Public Interest Podcast and enjoy this episode, please contribute $1 at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. We're here today with John Comers, former secretary of Maryland's Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, the former chair and executive director of Maryland's Health Services Cost Review Commission, which will henceforth be referred to as the HSCRC throughout the duration of this episode, and he remains a current member on the HSCRC. John is currently a senior vice president of healthcare transformation and strategic planning at Johns Hopkins Medicine. John, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Excellent. So the first question I'd like to pose to you is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? (laughs) That's a a rather loaded question. Uh, I would say that much of my career, both in the public and the private sector, uh, have been uh, geared towards uh, advancing uh, the public uh, good. Um, I spent 19 years in state government working uh, for the Hospital Rate Setting Commission, uh, and uh, other uh, regulatory commissions where I um, advanced uh, the idea of uh, healthcare being uh, affordable uh, and uh, creating um, uh, incentives uh, for hospitals uh, to be more efficient and effective in, uh, in providing care uh, to their patients and to their uh, communities. Um, 
when I was uh, health secretary, you had a tremendous opportunity to uh, make advances in a whole host of, uh, of areas. I had the ill fortune of having to do that during a time of uh, the worst economic downturn uh, in my lifetime. Uh, but nevertheless, with uh, the help of lots of people within the department and with the governor and the legislature, we were able to make some advances uh, in uh, a variety of areas. So uh, that's a long answer uh, to mm -hmm. a simple question, but there have been a lot of things that I've been doing towards the public good. So, John, you say that you spent much of your 19-year career in state government working to create health care in Maryland that is more affordable. I'd like to ask you, affordable for whom? Well, I think fundamentally uh, one needs to look at this both in terms of um, the cost to society and the cost to uh, individuals. Um, we are seeing um, increasingly as, uh, uh, and I think we have reached uh, a, a tipping point now, uh, where uh, the cost of health uh, overall within uh, the society uh, is becoming um, uh, unbearable for many people. And while because of the Affordable Care Act, we have many people who have insurance coverage who heretofore did not have it, and many people are able to get assistance in purchasing that insurance. Uh, for many, nevertheless, uh, out-of-pocket payments continue to increase substantially uh, for individuals, um, uh, and uh, the cost for businesses and government ultimately um, uh, are, are the guarantors of the providers of that health insurance coverage uh, are finding an increasing portion of their own budgets being dedicated to health care. And appropriately, the question is asked, uh, to, to what end? Are we getting better results uh, for the additional money that we are spending? And uh, unfortunately, that isn't, is not always, uh, uh, always the case. And when you say better results, is that compared to other nations or compared to ourselves 20 years ago? Well, I think compared to ourselves 20 years ago, I think there are uh, there clearly are improvements in in a number of public health uh, uh, measures, and certainly in terms of uh, access. Uh, but relative to the rest of the world, uh, there are outcomes that uh, that we are not uh, uh, we do not fare particularly well on, uh, whether it is uh, infant mortality or uh, obesity or uh, percentage of uh, people uh, dying from conditions that are uh, amenable to um, uh, treatment, uh, we remain very high. The disparities in populations remain disturbingly large. And so for subsets of the population, either by income or by race or by geography, vastly different uh, outcomes. And that, to me, is not an acceptable outcome. So there still remains a lot of work to be done. So as a fair forewarning to our listeners, we're about to get quite wonky, if you haven't thought so already, in the world of healthcare policy. John, I'd like to ask you to explain to our listenership, what is the HSCRC, how did it come about, and uh, what is it trying to accomplish as the only um, entity of its kind in the entire United States? So uh, Maryland in the early 1970s enacted uh, legislation to create what amounts to a public service commission uh, to establish rates for hospitals. And at the time, uh, it was not Maryland was not the only state that was uh, doing uh, that. There were a number of other states, New York, uh, New Jersey, Massachusetts, uh, West Virginia, the state of Washington, all had uh, variants on this uh, program. 
but you are correct in saying that Maryland is the only one that has st uh, stuck with it. One of the things that makes the Maryland model unique is that it is an all-payer system. Now, that's not to be confused with something uh, uh, your listeners may be familiar with as a single-payer model. But by all-payer, what I mean is that the rates that the commission set uh, are applicable to all uh, public and private insurance companies. So whether it's Medicare or Medicaid, commercial insurance, a Blue Cross plan, HMOs, or indeed individuals who are uninsured or paying out of their own pocket, all of those patients pay the same rate for the same service at an individual hospital. And it's set by a seven-member board. Uh, that seven-member board is uh, comprised of part-time commissioners. It's a full-time staff that uh, undertakes the work of the commission. Uh, and what has allowed it to operate uh, is uh, what's called the Medicare waiver, which is essentially a, an agreement between the state and the federal government in which the federal government agrees to pay uh, hospitals in Maryland on the basis of the rates set by the commission so long as the state meets certain performance tests. And um, for much of the life of the commission, those tests were based on uh, payments per admission. Uh, and more recently, beginning in 2014, we entered into a new demonstration with the federal government that focused on um, uh, uh, per capita or overall hospital spending uh, in, uh, in Maryland. Um, and that new experiment has been going uh, quite well, and we are in negotiations now with the federal government to uh, expand and uh, extend that. So we were talking about uh, how we're at a tipping point and costs in healthcare have become unbearable for many individuals across society. How has the HSCRC's all-payer rate-setting system made healthcare more affordable in Maryland? Well, I think one of the things, uh, and in particular as we look at this new model that has been uh, in place since uh, 2014, uh, it is essentially creating strong incentives uh, for hospitals um, to uh, work with their um, uh, physician colleagues uh, and indeed with their patients uh, to provide care in the most effective uh, setting and to avoid uh, unnecessary care. So one of the things, for example, uh, that we uh, saw in Maryland uh, before this new waiver was that the state had among the highest readmission rates in the country. And by that I mean uh, a patient who is discharged from a hospital and then within 30 days comes back uh, and is uh, readmitted to the hospital. For um, uh, those patients, for Medicare, Maryland had uh, among the worst readmission rates in the country. Uh, and as a result of this new model, um, hospitals have worked very hard in, in the transitions of care of, uh, over time uh, as patients are discharged uh, from the hospital, making sure that there are good handoffs out into the community, whether that is back to the patient's home or into skilled nursing facility or elsewhere, that we've now brought down, um, uh, hospitals have now brought down the readmission rate uh, for Medicare to the national average in about three and a half years' time. Uh, we've also held um, overall hospital spending per capita in Maryland uh, to less than the rate of growth in the economy as a whole uh, over the first uh, three years of, uh, of, uh, of this new model. Uh, and we were able to save, uh, in addition to that, significant savings 
to the Medicare program uh, over that time for hospital spending, and, and, and doing so without increasing um, spending outside of the hospital to such an extent uh, that it swamped uh, whatever hospital savings we uh, we had. So uh, I think we're on to something here. Uh, it, it, it seems to be working in aggregate. I think there are um, still uh, issues that the commission has to deal with in how the size, uh, in, in how uh, these uh, dollars are attributed uh, to uh, various hospitals. There are still growing pains that have to be uh, uh, addressed, uh, having to do with where uh, volume is shifting uh, among hospitals and whether there are appropriate adjustments for certain types of facilities, uh, in particular um, our two academic uh, medical centers. But leaving that aside, in aggregate, the system seems to have uh, have functioned well, and I think it is something that, um, uh, generally speaking, uh, has saved uh, has saved money and offers some great promise. Now, John, we've been speaking about hospital spending extensively, uh, and you've already spoken about how we're shifting from volume to value, from fee-for-service to per-capita hospital spending. Obviously, many health policy experts around the country are aware that uh, – uh, one of the uh, hallmarks of this transition to, to value over volume is downscaling the setting of care from ICU to general hospital inpatient bed, from hospital to outpatient to care in the community. The question I have for you is, why don't we have uh, HSCRC applying to other settings of care outside of the hospital? So the, the, the rate setting authority of the commission is really quite are quite broad, and if you look at what overall healthcare spending is in the state, and let's focus for a moment on on Medicare spending. Um, if you look at inpatient and outpatient hospital spending, that accounts for roughly 55% of Medicare spending in the state of Maryland is inside a hospital, either as an inpatient in the emergency room or for outpatient services. If you add on to that the related physician services, and you may add, add on to it related services, say, with uh, skilled nursing that goes uh, uh, immediately around that uh, admission, um, you're already up to 75% of the spending. So the, the reason to start with hospitals is that that's where sick people go, um, and, and uh, it makes sense to use the regulatory authority that the state has in that uh, in that arena, uh, to extend a rate regulatory scheme, though, to other portions of uh, the market at this point probably does not make any sense, and I've, uh, I certainly have not been arguing for it. I think there are ways in which you can create models uh, that do link uh, payment activities with physicians or with skilled nursing facilities uh, or with uh, others. Uh, over an extended period of time where you can enter into either gain sharing uh, or other types of um, uh, 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 arrangements um, that that um, align those financial incentives without having to do rate setting uh, per se. Uh, and uh, that way you can test those things out. If they don't work, you can jettison that particular model and do something elsewhere. So, for example, in the new... Um, uh, enhanced waiver model, uh, we're looking to create a, a, a primary care uh, model in the Medicare arena. 
uh, Medicare patients, uh, those over the age of uh, 65 primarily. Um, uh, uh, it, we have very little uh, direct managed care in, uh, uh, in the state of Maryland. It's among the lowest in the country. And for many Medicare patients, they uh, may not have a uh, normal um, uh, site of, uh, of care, and their care may not be well coordinated. So a primary care model, which you would allow for enhanced payment to primary care physicians, more care coordination activities uh, among um, uh, physicians and their, uh, and their patients, um, uh, opportunities for um, uh, uh, savings to be uh, accrued as a result. Um, you could do that without having a rate regulatory environment to do that. So uh, I'd like to speak now about a topic we've obliquely touched, but I'd like to delve more deeply into. You alluded to uh, all-payer versus single-payer before. We've spoken very, very peripherally about uh, health insurance coverage and how it's expanded over Obamacare. I'd like to bring the topic uh, under the auspices of universal health care coverage in Maryland and to what extent we already do that in a very indirect fashion. Of course, what I'm referring to is uncompensated care. Now, the HSCRC does set all reimbursement rates for all procedures done in hospitals for all payers, and these rates are adjusted uh, on a certain period of time, and when they are adjusted, they account for the proportion of uncompensated care, that is, care given to individuals who are uninsured in that hospital. If you have a higher burden of uncompensated care, then your rates for an unrelated procedure in the hospital are increased. The question that I have for you, John, is the extent to which Marylanders are already paying to insure the 400,000 individuals in Maryland who are uninsured through this cost deferment, cost shifting sort of scenario where the HSCRC is already compensating for uncompensated care once, and then second, how hospitals and health insurance companies are in fact tax exempt primarily because they provide uh, uncompensated care as a community benefit. Are we already paying for universal health care coverage twice over, even though we have a 400,000-person population of uninsured people? Well, let, let's begin with the idea that uh, it is far better to have people covered um, and have proper health insurance and therefore can uh, gain easier access to uh, preventive services uh, and um, uh, uh, care uh, more regularly before uh, it becomes so uh, severe that it does require them to go to an emergency room or to uh, to a hospital. So whatever we're talking about in terms of providing uncompensated care through hospitals uh, would always be, in my mind, considered a second best uh, solution. Uh, and indeed, what we saw with the Affordable Care Act when uh, Medicaid was expanded, uh, when subsidies were provided for lower income Marylanders to be able to purchase private health insurance uh, was what we saw that the number of uninsured declined, declined uh, and the amount of uh, uncompensated care that hospitals were in, uh, incurring uh, also fell, uh, and uh, that ended up having hospital rates um, um, have those provisions for uncompensated care removed from those rates. So that has also helped hold down hospital spending in the state uh, as uncompensated care um, uh, uh, declined. So I do think that that um, the, figuring out better ways to provide health insurance coverage 
uh, to me is is a preferable approach. I am a uh, proponent of uh, the enhanced uh, Medicaid expansion that we did here in Maryland. I think uh, at 139% of the federal poverty level, which is the threshold for Medicaid uh, in the state, uh, it's not realistic to expect people to be able to uh, afford uh, health insurance uh, uh, at 139% of the federal poverty level, which for an individual I think would be around uh, $15,000 uh, a, a year. Um, uh, and the average uh, premium, uh, uh, health insurance uh, premium, uh, would consume uh, a sizable portion of that. So for, for poor, very poor people, Medicaid to me does make, uh, does make sense. Uh, and having a mechanism in place to provide subsidies to individuals to purchase uh, health insurance in the private market uh, to me also makes sense. It is, it is problematic, um, as we know, uh, with uh, uh, insurance, that if uh, only people buy insurance when they need it, it no longer is insurance. Insurance only works when you have a large pool of people purchasing something, and that risk is spread out over uh, over a large population. And so that's the best way to make insurance work. If you do it otherwise, so you've eliminated mechanisms to um, uh, exclude people from health insurance coverage if they have a pre-existing condition, if somebody can wait until they're sick and then buy health insurance, it's uh, it's akin to having uh, a car accident and then going out and buying car insurance after the accident. But we all know that that, that doesn't work. And so figuring out better ways to get people uh, covered by insurance, to me, is the better way than relying on uncompensated care pools to, um, to account for that. While you were health secretary of Maryland, despite sitting as secretary during the Great Recession, you presided over the expansion of Medicaid to 200,000 individuals. Now, I'd like to ask you on the topic of universal health care, what do you think about Medicaid for all as a public option that could be means tested and purchased by individuals with higher income brackets? Yeah, so I, I was, uh, it certainly was not me, it was the governor in the General Assembly who um, uh, uh, enacted that legislation um, um, while I was uh, health secretary and I was a strong uh, a proponent uh, of that expansion, which was to cover uh, parents of children uh, who are covered under the Medicaid uh, uh, program. I don't know whether I have ever heard of a, a proposal in which Medicaid uh, would be used as a vehicle. Remember, as you know, Medicaid is a program that's funded jointly between the federal and the state government, and that might be difficult. There are folks who have talked about a Medicare for all uh, buy-in uh, option. There, there are states that have looked at ways of uh, of expanding their um, uh, the purchasing power as a state uh, for health benefits by pooling uh, together their uh, Medicaid activity along with their state employee uh, health benefit plan and uh, services that are purchased for uh, other uh, uh, public uh, em- employees that might be used as a uh, as a mechanism. Uh, again, I, I will leave that to others at this point to decide how best to uh, expand those, uh, that, that, that coverage. But I had not heard of a Medicaid for all uh, or a Medicaid buy-in uh, as an approach. 
So uh, there's an experiment in Montgomery County, departing from our wonderful, wonderfully interesting uh, discussion on healthcare pricing um, and uh, the expansion of health insurance coverage. I'd like to speak about a program, two programs that have been successful in Montgomery County um, that have to do with healthcare, but also uh, with the judicial system. So, um, of course, I'm referring to mental health and drug courts, which both are in existence in Montgomery County. Um, you have a history of having helped uh, or presided over the expansion of substance abuse services to 33,000 Marylanders. Um, so I'd like to ask you, what do you think about mental health and drug courts uh, being expanded across the state? And is that something that would be uh, good for the, the welfare and the health of uh, the 6 million people who uh, call themselves Marylanders? Well, uh, it is my understanding that that, uh, that indeed uh, both mental health uh, uh, or behavioral health courts, um, uh, uh, mental health and substance abuse courts, are in various uh, jurisdictions around the state. Although Montgomery County may be le have uh, have led the way, uh, I know that there are these so-called problem-solving courts uh, elsewhere uh, around the state. I, I am a proponent of them. They do. Um, uh, uh, if, if one of the uh, more um, pleasant jobs that I had as secretary was the opportunity to occasionally go to um, uh, the graduation ceremonies for people who had been uh, uh, sent to drug court and uh, were being uh, graduated from uh, from that program. Uh, it's not a panacea. Uh, the recidivism, there is still a recidivism uh, rate of uh, uh, addiction uh, and mental health problems are are, are difficult diseases uh, to uh, to overcome, um, but it seemed to me um, a far better approach to purely to incarceration if you have an individual who's willing to enter into a uh, a treatment program to be able to uh, to address the problem. So, uh, John, as we approach the end of this podcast episode, I'd like to ask you a final two-part question. I'd like to ask you, one, uh, to speak to the patients and the people of the state of Maryland about why you've given your life uh, to public service, uh, to advancing the public interest in the, within the realm of health care, and two, what has been the impact of your work? What would you say at the end of your career, whenever that might be, what would you hope would be the legacy of your time in public service? Well, the first, uh, to the answer to your first question is, uh, I think does go back to my uh, upbringing. Um, I am uh, the son of a physician. Uh, both of my grandfathers were physicians. One of my grandmothers uh, was a physician. And both my parents emigrated here to this country during World War II. And uh, this country was a refuge uh, for them. Uh, if it weren't for that opportunity for them to come here, uh, I would not, I certainly would not be here. And um, I think a large part of who I am and why I decided to go into the, this field uh, was in uh, went many ways to give back to the community uh, uh, and, uh, and to the country that um, uh, made it possible for my uh, family to uh, survive and to, to thrive. And so, um, I certainly credit my uh, my parents, my grandparents, with giving me that uh, sense of uh, public responsibility, um, and certainly many of the mentors that I've uh, enjoyed over the years uh, that I've had the great opportunity to work with, whether it 
uh, was uh, uh, Hal Cohen at the Rate Setting um, uh, Commission um, uh, or any number of the uh, chairman of commissions that I've worked for at the Millbank uh, Memorial Fund, um, uh, many, many, many mentors uh, over the years. So, so I give them all credit for why I'm doing this. Uh, in terms of what I would hope to leave as a legacy, um, uh, ultimately I hope um, uh, that I leave uh, behind uh, lots of other mentees that I now uh, have the uh, great privilege of working with um, uh, and instilling in them um, the same type of commitment uh, to uh, public service and advancing uh, the public good, uh, which can be done either in the public sector or in the private sector. And while there are not many nice things about getting old, uh, being able to um, find and, and work with uh, young mentees is uh, certainly one of, uh, one of them. And that has been John Comers, former Maryland Health Secretary and former Chair, Executive Director, and current member of the HSCRC, current Senior VP of Transformation at Johns Hopkins Medicine, who speaks about America at a tipping point, where we've reached uh, a point in society uh, with unbearable health care costs. He speaks of his efforts over the past many decades to contain those costs in the state of Maryland and the very many uh, policy innovations that he has been involved in implementing in Maryland that have been geared towards improving value, which is to improve health outcomes, which he warns us are better now than they were, say, in the 1990s for the state of Maryland, but not better now compared to Europe in 2018. Uh, so John is trying to improve health care quality and reduce health care costs in order to improve health uh, throughout the state of Maryland. John, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, uh, and my best to you. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And please join the conversation by calling 240-630-0380 or emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.